There we go. All right, we officially have a party going on now. Let's get it. What's going on, fellas? Happy New Year. Um, I guess the first thing I'd want to do as I accept this request is give a hearty congrats to the Panther Band for performance on national TV in the Rose Parade. That was awesome. That was freaking awesome. As a former alum, very proud of that moment. Uh, just kind of timed out that this was when um, we were going to do this, but it just happened to be right after when Georgia State Band performed. And so uh, very cool things work out like that. Very serendipitous so, there. Well done. Yeah. Uh, working my way into this media thing, I guess. Um, I, so I, I guess I, I, I gathered you all here and everyone who's listening just because it, it seemed like this last year in kind of like a podcast form and just seemed like a, the po- the season's over. It's time to reflect and why not do it in the Twitter space where everyone can uh, listen. And then um, I've got kind of a general agenda going on that I, I've got some questions I can throw to kind of steer the conversation. But other than that, you know, if people who are listening want to request and ask a question or make a comment or something, they'll uh, be free to do so. Um, I'm Brady with ThursdayNight.com. Um, my colleague for Thursday Night David will be along at some point. And then there's another David from uh, State of Atlanta and as well as Ryan from State of Atlanta. And everyone knows Ben from PantherTalk.com. And uh, so I guess, you know, it's funny. We, we talked about doing this for a preseason thing. And we never actually got it lined up to do it. But it, it, it would have been a weird time because it would have been like, all right, preseason predictions. Quad, Quad Brown's going to be leading passer. Destin Coates going to be leading rusher. Sam Pickney or Cornelius McCord going to be the leading receiver. And that's just not at all how the season went. But it was still kind of a successful season. I just want to get, you know, your initial thoughts on how the season went. And someone go ahead and start i guess go ben all right um i'll jump in yeah i'm not afraid um yeah to to the, go back to week zero and the uh, the quad for heisman sign uh that made it to uh, espn college game day uh just a smidge off on that one um but uh but no i i think all things considered I and mean, we, we knew going in pretty much the entire offseason conversation that the first you know, three of the first four games were going to be brutal, um, anticipating a, a very difficult opener against Army, uh, going on the road against a ranked North Carolina team, going on uh, going on the road to an SEC team, um, you know, was going to be difficult. And, and I think even to compound that even worse is to come and say, hey, we're going to go ahead and open up uh, Sunbelt Conference play at home against App State, uh, who's pretty much been the gold standard in the league. Uh, those, you know, it didn't look great. So you just said, all right, so how do you pivot from that, um, you know, first five games there uh, initially and and how, um, you know, mentally and physically, uh, you know, put together will you be? And, you know, to the staff and the players credit, um, they, you know, picked themselves up together after a one and four start where there was many, 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 and Coach Elliott even talked about it, people outside the building uh, probably didn't believe in this team very much. And, you know, to rip off basically seven out of their last eight wins uh, to be quite candid, one of the, one of the hottest teams, uh, you know, to, to finish 2021 season. Um, I have to go back and look. I haven't done the research yet, but uh, not sure how many teams in, in the nation even got to eight FBS wins either. Uh, every single victory this season came against the FBS foe. So uh, huge, huge congrats, obviously, to the players and the coaches. And then obviously it sets a new bar and a new standard uh, within the program. 
Yeah, and also talking uh, uh, piggybacking off of Ben there, <clears throat> with that that lousy start, we all admit it's a lousy start. You look at the conference record, and we only lost two conference games, and those two teams were, were the two teams that ended up playing in the conference championship. All in all, we are a bad call in Auburn and a close loss to, uh, from Lafayette to actually having ten wins on the season. Absolutely, I got a request here from Grant, so I'll let him in. Uh, should be good. Yeah, I think you're muted, but you should be good now, Grant. Okay. Sounds good. This is going to be a little bit off the walls. I hope you guys are ready for just this. But good <laughs> off the walls. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna jump in and answer the the question anyway. I'm I'm always kind of the naysayer on uh, on our podcast, and honestly, you know, watching the season. Um, I was I was pretty let down by the team's performance in many of the games. By winning, uh, I thought we were kind of sloppy. Passing was sporadic at best. Um, you know, when he was on, he was on, but when he wasn't, he wasn't. Um, our running game has always been pretty strong, and our defense was pretty bend don't break. It did good enough, but still wasn't outstanding. Um, that all being said. <laughs> you can ignore me because eight wins later, you know, <laughs> um, I, that's all you can ask for is a win. So, you know, I, I hope we all play a little bit better next year and the team grows and gets gets a little better uh, and we end up winning, you know, nine, ten wins. Yeah, this was – this was. I was going to jump in real quick. Yeah, this was a great season. I mean, we finished down the stretch so well. And we also have to remember, too, we've only been a Division One football team since 2014, and we did what we did this season – the running game was great. I see Tucker Gregs in here. He was awesome this season. Uh, Williams was awesome. We finally found a quarterback, too, because we, we kept shuffling quarterbacks, too, with what ground at the beginning of the season. And then, um, you know, we had the other guy come in. He did so much better. But, you know, this, this is an awesome – this is just awesome for the program to get eight wins and to do what we did, too, because we had a pretty tough schedule, too. And, you know, to play down the stretch really well, we could have beat Louisiana. So this team really could have had about nine or ten if a couple things went our way. Uh, overall, it was awesome. We beat Georgia Southern. I mean, it, it's just, it's only up for the program here. The recruiting is going to get better. And we've had some guys in the transfer portal, but I think that's kind of good because we keep growing as a program and people keep wanting to come. So that's a kind of a good thing that we got people leaving and we got people are interested in coming in, which is something we haven't had in years. Yeah, absolutely. It looked like Ben was maybe trying to speak, so I was waiting for that. But uh, the awkward the silence got a little too long, so I was going to jump in. Um, definitely agree with all that. Um, it's you know, it's why you, you can't really jump to snap judgments. I think in the middle of the year, and it's so easy to do. And you know, it, it's what fans do, and it's understandable. You know, you want to be winning games, and obviously, I don't think Georgia State can continue to make a habit of starting one and four and have you know it's not like every year everyone's going to be like all right well they went one and four but then finished eight and five so everything's going to be fine like obviously you're on year you're going to want to see some of the losses cut out but i what i thought was interesting was just how just mid-season it all flipped and stuff that was going wrong you know the turnovers were a problem early and then down the back eight you know i did this in numbers i haven't put it out in a piece yet but i i crunched the numbers and there were nine turnovers in the first five games from the offense and then just six in the final eight and just one interception after seven in the first five games. So, you know, once the offense 
care of the ball. I mean, that run offense was so good that just staying on the field was enough to where they kept putting together drives and putting together drives. And that's the next uh, point I was going to go towards was just what a, anyone's favorable moment from this year was. I guess Man, that I, think, was I think the coastal win, right? We got, we got to go coastal win. I mean, that's the first ranked uh, opponent, and and uh, obviously, if you liked offensive football, uh, that was a heck of a game back and forth. And um, you know, e- even without Grayson McCall being there, uh, going on the road and beating a, a ranked opponent, uh, which was the you know the third opportunity, right? You know, you had had an opportunity to go and beat a, you know potentially ranked the North Carolina team, and that that game got sideways in a hurry. The Auburn game was was back and forth and back and forth, and um, you know had an opportunity you know twelve point lead at halftime to knock off Auburn in, in Jordan Hare uh, for another signature SEC victory. Didn't get that done. Uh, finally, you know, go, getting an opportunity to go knock off Coastal Carolina, I think, was an e- enormous, an- another again huge foundation, uh, you know, builder for for this program. I, I think that's kind of where I where I circle and one that jumps out and smacks me right in the face. My uh, <clears throat> my highlight of every season is always going to be hanging out with the fans, tailgating, things like that. So. My uh, my big shout out, my big highlight is going to be David put together for State of Atlanta a bus trip to to Auburn, and uh, so we piled on there, you know, brought a bunch of booze, tailgated on the way down, and uh, had a had a safe ride all the way back up, and stopped at Waffle House and just had a blast with the guys. And a shout out, we will be doing that again for the South Carolina game in twenty twenty two. I'll say that my favorite moment uh, since Ryan took mine with the bus trip uh, was, uh, uh, I don't know, every time you go inside a Georgia State Stadium or Center Park Stadium, it's it's just so amazing. Having gone back to Georgia State in the 90s, just seeing us playing football there. And I know you said looking for one moment, but it's every time I walk in that stadium and see us field a team, it's it's exciting and electric for me. me. And uh, watching the Cincinnati uh, bowl game last night, I was thinking myself seeing them there, even though they – were very underwhelming. I started thinking to myself, you know, it's an incredibly long shot, but this means we have that opportunity as well. And it literally brought a tear to my eye thinking about one day seeing Georgia State play in a, in a playoff game. 2025, baby. Yeah, Red's yeah. on it. Red's been on it. I would say, I would say, I'd just jump in real quick. I'd say my favorite moment was probably the bowl win again because winning back-to-back bowl games at a, as, a, as a program is huge just for momentum and recruiting. And I went to the bowl game on Christmas with my dad and a friend, and I had a great time. I mean, the team just looked so good that game, too. All the young men on the team just wanted to win the football game. You could see it in the coaching staff. You could see it in the players' eyes. They wanted to win the game. And everybody just executed so well. Everybody played complimentary football. The defense got turnovers for touchdowns. The uh, the offense was clicking in all cylinders. I mean, granted, we weren't you know we're, we weren't playing like the Alabama of the world, but we played a uh, you know a decent Division One foe in the MAC. They have a pretty good conference, but everybody just looked good and everybody just wanted to win the football game. And that's really encouraging to see that the young men want to win the game because a lot of these players now don't even really want to play in the bowl game. But we looked like we wanted to be there. We showed up, so that was really that was a really nice thing to see. Yeah, I mean, the team is now 3-1 and one in bowls under Coach Elliott. And the one loss, you know, Dan Ellington was playing hurt. It, it just – the momentum of the team had been stunted a little. But in every other game, not only has Georgia State won the game, they've been overwhelmingly the better team on the field, and that's shown in the results. And so I think if you're a Georgia State fan, you can definitely be encouraged that every year you're looking at a bowl game 
you can pretty much expect the team's going to get a good month of practice in and show up to play because that's been the evidence. Well, and I think that's that's the next evolution, the next step, right? You know, you you have what what is the standard? You you have okay, hey, making it to a bowl game, hey, that's a that's a huge accomplishment, a huge deal. Well, now it's become the standard. So now mm-hmm. I think that's you know that's more than anything the, the the next level. All right, so you're giving the coaching staff that amount of time to prepare both offensively and defensively, and, and I agree with you totally. I mean, it wasn't that Wyoming was so overwhelmingly better; it's just the fact that you had a quarterback who was severely injured, and I mean, my goodness, probably wasn't playing at you know half his capabilities because we know uh, how this offense works uh, with a running dual threat quarterback, and and Dan just couldn't even step into his throws; either couldn't plant his his feet. It really was unfortunate. Uh, to kind of go out and show uh, out there in Arizona, but um, you know, obviously credit to to him and and uh, you know getting an opportunity. But I, I agree with you. I mean, the, the games, especially the last last few years, have been blowouts on, on the positive side of things, and that's that's very much uh, you know a, a credit to the players and the staff. And and I think it it leads very well as well as we know. You know, bowls want viewership. Bowls want you know fans in the stands and things like that but they also want a good product on the field and and there's there's a lot of folks uh, in blue and white can brag a little bit and say hey look you know whether it's you know the cure bowl next year or whether it's a, another bowl opportunity um they have showed very well on the field and and that that frankly matters and, and we, this year we can actually beat a team other than western kentucky yeah. in the bowl game so that was so, that's great it turns out that you can beat other teams other than western kentucky in bowl games um you can play them even, you know, they're going to schedule other games. I, I think every but year. App, but, but App State, Kentucky, so that's even better. <laughs> it's especially nice when, you know, uh, 1.7 million eyeballs were on you in that dominating win, too. So the whole country got to see it. On Christmas Day, guys, and, that, and that's that's something that I was trying to explain, you know, overall when it first came out was it's not just the competition from the NBA, but it's the competition as well. You got to think in the second half, you have the NFL. NFL was playing basically a game I believe started at four fifteen or four thirty. So you know you have NFL fans tuning in early to watch pregame of that. Um, you know it, it is it, it is a very stout number. Um, and I think, you know, it, it, it made it on our message boards. I, I haven't verified the numbers, but it's, it's one of the highest in terms of the Sun Belt, if not the highest in terms of uh, rate. And, you know, we I don't know if we explicitly said this, but I think you can really are easily make the case that was the best game Georgia State's played this year for sure, and maybe extending past that into past years under Coach Elliott or beyond. I mean, I, I don't think – the 34-7 game is ever going to be surpassed just for who it was against and that it was a really good performance. But that was just a hell of a game they played against Ball State. I'm, I'm on the record <clears throat> giving Granger a lot of grief um, for how he's played throughout the season. And I was watching the bowl game, and I thought I saw a couple mistakes. Then I looked down at the stat line at about halftime and was like, what? What am I watching? And then – you know, continued watching that dominant performance. And, I mean, quite frankly, he was an elite quarterback that day. And I, nothing I say can ever take that away from him. So, uh, you know, he, he definitely stepped up. Well, and that was the case in both the, the two arguably biggest wins this year because he played probably his second best game of the year in the win against Coastal. Only the, good thing about, the good thing about it is, too, when the game was sort of close in the, and at, at halftime or whatever, what a sign of a good football team, and, the, and you know the football program is growing, when you can go in and make in-game adjustments and come out and look like a different football team, that's a big thing, too, for momentum and just for anything. We can go in and make adjustments and come out and look like a different team. That's really big for the program. It's the mental state of the coaches and players to know that says, guys, 
if we play like this, a lot of games, you know, we could have eight, nine win seasons back to back. I think that's really big for just for, for everybody in the program. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that third quarter was just a thing of beauty all around. You know, it, the, the offense had the ball for three possessions, got in the end zone on all three. The defense pissed a shout out. And then on that final play of the quarter, just when things couldn't get worse for Ball State, Ja'Cory Crawford tips the pass right to Antavius Lane. He returns at 55 yards for a pick six. And that was, you know, it already felt like it was incre- increasingly getting done. That was when it was like, all right, that's ball game right there. Um, and, uh, so earlier you were talking about um, <clears throat> the football players playing complimentary uh, football. And uh, I, honestly, I want to add in the fans to, to that because they were loud in the stands and I feel like the team was really feeding off of it. And then when the team really needed us, they came up and they were cheerleading, <laughs> uh, getting the fans into it. And, and, and that's that always just amazing. That was beautiful, too, that Coach Elliott was putting his arms up, trying to get the fans going. That's the sign of a good football coach right there, to get the fans into the game, even though we were already into the game pretty much. But uh, that, that was that was nice to see. That was just a, a warming moment to see that the the, fan, the the players and the coaches respected the fair. That's a, that's a wonderful moment to see. Yeah, and he knows what that does for the players' morale, too, so. I guess the other side of things, and, you know, I think we have to move here just at some point during this talk, is obviously this was the last game. Brad Blinn will be offensive coordinator at Georgia State. He's now quarterback coach, passing game coordinator at Virginia Tech, and obviously we congratulate him for a great move to an ACC school. But, you know, I guess wondering where people think that leaves Georgia State's offense now. Obviously, offensive coordinator to be hired, and, uh, you know, a lot of guys back, so – I think you can – it'll be interesting to see where the direction goes with the hire, but I think you look at it and say, well, there's a lot of guys – the new guy is going to have a lot of good players to get in good positions to score points. One of the things I'm interested in seeing about uh, what our offense looks like next year is we had this uh, backup quarterback on the bench in McKelly who had a different style play Granger and uh, Quad did, and so he wasn't getting any chance because that's, that wasn't Brad Glenn's offense. Uh, that, that wasn't how offense that McKelly could. I'm like, all right, now we have somebody else coming in. Maybe we don't see the same style offense and we actually can get a different style quarterback making some plays. Um, you know, we have the, the Memphis transfer coming in is kind of what we've been doing for a while. But I'm interested in seeing what type of offense we actually run with whoever comes in as the new uh, OC. We've actually just been joined by David of Thursday Night Fame. Um, David, I don't know – uh, what your uh, your initial thoughts? I guess we can go backwards because uh, you just joined the call. Your initial thoughts and your thoughts on the the trend with the, the offensive coordinator position. What do you think is going to happen there? Yeah, hey guys, uh, it's it's definitely going to be interesting. You know, um, I don't have any names. I'm not like plugged in on that. You know, that level specifically. Uh, but I think the same philosophy is going to be found in terms of you know, it's uh, Coach Elliott style offense. You know, he's going to want to run the ball a billion times, and you know, I think there's going to be room for some kind of different things to happen in the passing game because I feel like that wasn't necessarily as as uh, prolific this year as they'd probably like to be. So I, I'm curious to see how they kind of balance that because, you know, quote unquote, anybody can run the ball, but if, you know, if you want to 
have a little bit more in specific aspect, you know, that kind of changes from a good Georgia state offense to an elite one. Um, so I, I do want to see what kind of that looks like next year, but you know, as far as like names and like, you know, where they go and who they look for, you know, I, I wish that was my speed, but I'm not there yet. Yeah, quite honestly, it's been pretty, uh, pretty quiet on that front. Um, so whether uh, something is happening, whether whether Coach Elliott gets somebody uh, in place, I mean, obviously the goal, the most important thing is when you get someone in place uh, by the time the players come back and and, uh, and arrive on January the tenth, um, you know, when school starts, uh, just so they can have you know basically you can run some, uh, you know, r- run some plays. If if the offense does change, there are guys on, on this, um, you know, on this coaching staff. Uh, who, who could be candidates, and we, you know, put that out, you know, basically as soon as the news with Brad Glenn going to Blacksburg, um, you know, guy, a guy like, uh, you know, offensive line coach Amon Nagavi, uh, who did call plays for ULM, uh, was involved in the the offensive, uh, you know, play, you know, basically um, game plans and things like that uh, at ULM, and, and their their offense was were, were very good toward the top of the um, of the Sun Belt. Uh, they also struggled some. Uh, obviously, that that 2020 year uh, was not very good, and, and we can you know point whether it's personnel, whether it's uh, you know obviously COVID, the COVID factor, and things like that in Monroe. Um, you know, you know the other guys are are they ready to take the next step? Guys that have been on this this coaching staff for you know four four or five years already, like uh, Josh Stepp, who's been the tight ends coach, who was a uh, quarterback in college, um, you know, and, and was a head coach, head football coach um, in, in the high school ranks. Uh, you know, also. Had top ten, you know, rushing attack uh, certainly is a is a factor to wake people up. And knowing that, you know, potentially at least according to the AJC, you could have uh, at least four of, of your five starting offensive linemen in that bowl game be back, uh, bringing your starting quarterback back, um, you know, bringing both running backs back potentially. So um, there's a lot of weapons for this new offense, but I think the you know it almost has to get more balanced, right? You, you can't have. Can't, it's not sustainable to have basically just be so one-dimensional, and that's where you really saw in the last season is um, when this team became one-dimensional. Um, it was very easy to figure out. It was very easy to slow them down, and I think uh, you know it. You know, certainly was frustrating uh, from Coach Elliott as well as the wide receivers and tight ends. Guys not getting the ball on time and on target. So uh, I think that's the next evolution and the next step. But uh, you know, David's point's a great one. I mean, this team is going to run the football. I mean, we know that for sure. Uh, but you know, are you able to get you know more balanced? Are you able to get you know? 40 rushing attempts a game as, as well as you know another 30, 35 passing attempts. I think that's the next evolution and the next step uh, for Coach Elliott's offense. Yeah, and I mean, I just wanted to just say that this year, the Georgia State offense averaged 28.2 points per game, and that was the lowest of Glenn's tenure as offensive coordinator. But it's also the third highest in school history, and he's been here three years. So I guess do the math there, and you know, obviously – influx of players came in continued to develop and so it's a player first thing in general that the players worked really hard and got really good and were able to score points but I just really don't know that you can overstate the kind of impact that he's had on the offense at Georgia State and so I think it's an attractive job now but you do have to kind of look at it and say yeah it is a loss because this is a guy who's really been able to tap into something that has escaped Georgia State for a long time, and it's get Georgia State further into them, and it just felt like a really empathetic relationship with them. And so, 
I, I yeah, I'm interested to see where the the hire goes. But yeah, it, it is it is a loss, and it is something that Georgia State's going to have to make the right hire on to keep the train moving on time. Yeah, I think going into next season too, um, I have a kind of a bold prediction. I think we uh, we play North Carolina at home next season, right? Correct. If I stand corrected, I think we beat North Carolina at home next season. I just wanted to kind of throw out kind of a bold prediction right there. It's a new year. Get the so, new takes out there. So, and then Carolina, the first game of the season might be a little bit tricky if Spencer Rattler, you know, starts for South Carolina. That may be a little tricky with him since he's a pretty good cue. But uh, we'll I think we'll you can move. Those. I think it's pretty safe to say Spencer Rattler will be the quarterback coming out of the huddle. Yeah, on September third for South Carolina. Yeah, it might be a little tricky with him, but we'll we'll see how it goes. And talking about UNC coming to Center Park, I mean that's probably gonna. There's a lot of UNC grads and fans in the city. Oh that yeah, could be one, our very very well, if not our best attended game at the at the stadium. We're looking forward to see what that looks like. I know I've got several friends and coworkers have uh, had that game circled. They, they want to come down for so that, that'll yeah, be interesting. Definitely, probably to, at least twenty thousand people at least at the game. higher. It needs to be. High. It needs this. That should set the all time record. And, and that that's that's something that we will continue to bang the drum. Uh, obviously, you know the next uh, eight months. That is the next home game. You know, you open up on the road against against uh, South Carolina. You come back in North Carolina. Um, the the one thing that does give me pause is the fact that North Carolina uh, does travel to App State the following week. Uh, which shout out to the uh, UNC athletic director who uh, went and whoever booked uh, back-to-back Sunbelt teams. I'm sure the Tar Heel fans uh, have not exactly uh, uh, either paid attention to that, but they will be bemoaning it, I'm sure, for their September travel schedule. But um, I, I think it's it's got to go much higher. It, you know, the, the goals, it, it has to uh, honestly not only sell out the bottom uh, just because, um, you know, the there's a ton of UNC alums here and just getting kind of the, the um, you know, allure of basically having the first power five. Uh, but, but I think it, it not only needs to set the center part, but I think it should set the program standard. And honestly, uh, as I mentioned, it's, it's, it's the very next home game that for this program. So, um, you know, the, it, you have to set that expectation high. You're hosting your first power five. Uh, if you're only pulling in, you know, 20 or 25,000 fans, it's really not a good look. I totally agree. I mean, I think for one thing, I'm interested to see how much. Obviously, I know that we have a ton of UNC fans, as we've spoken about here. I, I can bump into a lot of UNC, even during my days as a student at Georgia State. Um, I know it's mostly going to be North Carolina fans, but I do want to see if you know the allure of like a of the first Power Five team coming to Center Park is going to grab maybe some students to come check out. You know, you know Georgia State playing uh, a Power Five opponent that's coming here. And I also want to see how improved the team is. I'm not expecting a win against North Carolina, but one thing I do hope is a better is better quarterback play than we saw against North Carolina in Chapel Hill last time. I don't think we would have won that game, obviously, but the the the, the poor play from uh, Quad and I I I'm not sure if Granger took snaps in that yeah, game. Granger but... played in that game. He he got uh, well, he got robbed of a touchdown, but he got like a 30 yard run right in the near the end of the yeah, game. Yeah, he, he was in a gotcha. garbage time. Yep. Well, here's yeah, the thing but, about it too. Yeah, oh, go ahead. Never yeah, mind. but I'm just saying. But if we can at least show that we're capable against, you know, consistently against these teams, I think that does a lot more than if say we lose like forty to ten. Because like I think even you talked about this, Ben. 
the fact is, is that we get blown out way too many times at home. Like the fact that we got blown out against Army, I get it, they're a good team. And then against App State, again, I know they're a good team. But I just hope they keep it within a margin where it doesn't seem like this program is like kind of faltering because, you know, we're not going to have good attendance going forward if we keep on getting blown out at home, which is my only worry with this game coming into the next season. So that's uh, that's what my that's kind of what my thoughts are about the UNC game going this season. I hope we have good quarterback play and I hope we play good enough where fans will continue to interest with this program going forward, especially at home. Well, you need a name. You need a name win, right? You you need a name home win. Ultimately, you know we we know the opportunities are not there uh, to to host Power Fives often, and and this is obviously a first. But um, and and certainly won't help uh, for future scheduling uh, if the Panthers are able to take care of uh, you know Mac Brown's team. But you know just watching them in their bowl game, and I know there's a lot um, you know of conversation whether folks get up for it, you know players get up for it, staff changes and things like that. Um, let, let's just say things are. Not not great in Chapel Hill right now. No. Uh, they're, they're, you know, Sam Howell is very likely to uh, to enter the NFL draft. Um, there are a lot of good players, obviously, offensively and defensively, uh, but the shine has certainly come off uh, that program after a very uh, stellar 2020. Um, but, uh, I mean, their offensive line was awful this year, honestly, probably one of the worst in Power 5. Uh, there's, there is a unique opportunity here. Um, and, and I think that's that's really what this program needs. If you really want to launch this, because just on paper, you know, you're going to be uh, a road underdog in South Carolina. You're probably going to be a road uh, underdog against North Carolina. You're going to be a road underdog again in week four when you go and play oh, Army. Um, I, I think that's that's the difficult part about this ultimately is is you got to go beat one of those teams you're not supposed to beat, especially at home. Well, the thing about it is, too, is UNC, the pros dying out there. I mean, the last 2027 wins this season, six. I mean, it's a it's a dysfunctional program there at UNC. I don't think Mac Brown's the right coach. But look, guys, Georgia Tech, a dysfunctional program with Coach Collins beat UNC. We have a great chance of beating them. Um, you know, they're just – Sam Howell's going to be gone. Their running back room is not as strong as it was. Their offensive line is kind of weak. I think we definitely have a great shot. I mean, if Tech can go and route them – I mean, we definitely have a great shot to stay in the game. Got a new speaker. Go ahead. Oh, uh, is anyone next? Or, uh, I guess not. Someone requested and didn't start talking. Oh, um, I'm just. I guess, like to to Grant's point. Yeah, I mean that. I was surprised how poorly um, UNC played that tight game. Um, I I did think that the fact that Tech was playing in Mercedes-Benz Stadium had a little bit to do with the energy there, maybe. Um, but yeah, I that UNC game, I, I thought that especially at halftime, it was twenty-one ten or twenty-one to seventeen. If anyone remembers the, the uh, halftime score, I thought okay, this could have been a lot worse. And the fact that they're still in it, um, you know, and so I guess that kind of made me seg- segue into like if the right offensive coordinator can come in. Because the the quarterback room is an open question. You got Granger who's coming off. He did, he did really well in this last game, but was rather up and down. You get a new transfer, Keelan Brown. Of course, you have uh, McKelle. And I don't know if Georgia State's going to look at getting another quarterback um, in uh, for signing day. But it, it kind of it's interesting to see like what uh, how this team is going to transform based on what quarterback we have and how we're going to adapt to his systems and you know, but. 
you know, I want to see how they develop, especially without Sam Pinkney, how we're going to place that weapon. And the quarterback play is going to be huge uh, going into the season, especially since we don't know what direction the new office corner wants to go and who's obviously going to be starting under center uh, uh, for this team uh, going to next season. Yeah, it was 24-10 at halftime. And you know, I guess that is, if there's one look at from Coach Elliott's time, and obviously this extends back into the, the dark years where there was lots of losses on the schedule. Um, I think if there's one goal Georgia State should want to have, and I don't really know how you can put this goal, players going out to try and play a game, but there's been at least one game every year where it's just like, oh, this was a letdown. There's no reason the result needed to be this bad. And, you know, you look at last year, or 2019, the, the Western Michigan 57-10 loss, even in a bowl year, it stands out as kind of like, why this was a team that ended up rattling off four straight wins in October. They weren't that bad. This past year, I mean, the UNC loss, the Army loss, the second half against App State, you can even argue, uh, where the game just really got away from you. And it's the type of trait that really good teams are able to erase and just not have games like that. And so even though you've got a really tough slate of, uh, you know, off out of conference again in 2022 and the Sun Belt is only going to get harder with the new additions. Um, I think if you can play 12 games where you don't have any of those games where just everything goes wrong and you get blown out when you, ne- you shouldn't necessarily get blown out, that'll be a, a tiny thing that makes it more likely that you're winning nine, 10 games like you're hoping for. Just the games where it's been non-competitive early and often, those are the ones that really good teams just don't have games like that. And that's the next step, I think, for Georgia State. I think that we just play like we did in the bowl game and play complimentary football and do things like that and do the little things and have the fans have energy, the players have a lot of energy, the coaching staff is into the game. That's how you win football games. It's a lot of times, you know, it's players, it's X's and O's, but I think a lot of times it's, it's a lot of mentality and a lot of uh, effort and intensity is the reason how, you know, basketball teams win games and football teams win games. So if we can have all those components going right in the games, and that might not happen every time, but if we can do that, you know, eight out of the 12 games, nine out of 12 games, then that's really big. And we just got to be, you know, ready to play. And we just got to have the right, you know, mindset and the right demeanor going into the game, I think is a big thing too. You make, a, you make a good point, Grant, because I remember in 2020, after, I believe, the App State game, uh, you know, Coach Elliott came on and said they kind of switched up their practice style. Um, and they kind of went to a much harder, more intense physical practice style. You know, down that stretch in 2020, it really showcased, like, this team, you know, is kind of ready to play. And I think right. – I can only speak for, you know, myself or a little bit us here at Thursday night. And, you know, coming into this season, it seemed like, okay, you know, you count thing. Let's see how that translates and looks, you know, early on in the season. And, you know, you didn't, I don't want to say you didn't necessarily see that because I think the problems early on were, you know, multifaceted, but I think kind of this last like stretch, you really saw a Georgia state team that went back to just being like, okay, we are physical. We can, you know, especially on the defensive side of the ball, like, you know, those guys up front didn't really have a lot of, you know, push in those first few games because they went against some bigger offensive lines and, you know, then they kind of got some confidence and then started beating the crap out of people, you know, it's, it's, You're absolutely right. They got to hit it from game one and just keep going to, you know, keep that not necessarily sacks and, but, you know, keep that intensity, keep that pressure going through all 12 games instead of, you know, the final eight or, you know, what have you. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think to your point, 
something that Georgia State fans look at as a positive is you can talk yourself into Georgia State winning most games they play in the trenches on both sides. Like the way that the offensive line has developed is well documented. It's kind of Coach Elliott's calling card and he's brought that in. And I really think that the leaps you've seen, especially from young guys in the defensive line the last couple of years has been just outstanding. The defense looked really good in the bowl game. We just looked nasty. We See, the best part about that game is, though, we were so physical on both sides that we were just playing so good. But then the special teams was good. But, you know, that's the reason how we won the game is because every component of the football team was good. And I, when I went to the game, like I said, I could just see it in the young men's eyes that they wanted to win the game. Because you can tell in a team when you're watching a team in basketball warm-ups or football warm-ups if they really want to be there and if they really want to win. But those men wanted to win the game, though. And that's the mentality we need to have you know, if we're playing, you know, the army of the world or we're playing a uh, Western Carolina or whatever, we need to have that same mentality. Yeah. And um, I think that especially if we start winning, especially our home games, that's in, I know people always dunk, like, especially, you know, Southern fans always like to dunk on the whole attendance thing or whatever. But like, if we, especially if we start putting up really good performances at home and start becoming dominant at home, because I don't think, because like we, with the foot, with the basketball program, one thing we know for sure is they're always going to be dominant at home. That's one thing they do. And so, you know, when they play Southern, that brings out a great atmosphere for the games against Southern in the basketball arenas. That's one thing they do is they win at home. State has never had that. So uh, they've never really had a place where they're dominant, uh, where, they, where, they, where they really dominate in. And so I feel like that, that kind of deflates a, a lot of what could be the energy there. But, like, if you start winning these games, especially early or at least playing well, uh, that I'm hoping – if we can somehow get to a group where we can start to put up just constant wins at home, that's going to be really important as we kind of build that culture going forward. Because it's, I know it's still in the early days, but, you know, I feel like had you uh, maybe beat Army, because, like, you can't have a game – you can't get blown out in your first game at uh, your first game start the season uh, at home, and then you get blown out against App State, uh, you know, you really – it really kind of deflates things. And I guess second of all, I feel like you've eventually got to get to a point where you got to be App State. I mean, I think we're 0-8 against them, and we've I think like almost every game has been a blowout. Something's got to click eventually because um, you got to win in their house this time. So hopefully I, I would hope to think that at least we move in that direction where we win at home and just finally beat App State. We've got over hope against Southern. So hopefully just you got to beat App State to really become what you really hope to be in the Sun Belt. Well, yeah, the, the next step is is actually vying for a Sun Belt championship, and, and until we're beating App State, that's just not going to happen. It it is, and and at one one slight slight correction, I, I will, you know, there's there's games that obviously, and, and Brady mentioned it. I mean, the Coastal Carolina last, last Army this year, um, there have been some some bad losses that I think have skewed the overarching, um, you know, win loss record in the last three. Uh, the Panthers are twelve and five at home. That's very good. Uh, that's that's not. You know, I think the getting beat down in the ways you have, I think that has kind of skewed that a touch. Sorry, go ahead. I accidentally hit the button that mutes everyone. Ben. No, you're good, man. Um, so, so I would just say, you know, 
Be- beating beating the good teams that that's that's kind of the next step here right it you know this team is winning at home it's winning overall now more than it's losing it's now you know beating the teams that you're not supposed to beat that, that is the app states the louisianas um you know you you went on the road and beat coastal carolina now now you're gonna have to have coastal carolina come to your place you're gonna have to have north carolina come to your place um you know you've got georgia southern coming back um you know, they're, they're, these are huge opportunities obviously and uh you know i, I don't want to do the win loss you know look at the schedule and say win loss win loss because there's still a, a tremendous amount of uh, variables there um but uh you know you have a great opportunity to continue to build on an eight win season hey, come man, on ben, don't, 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 don't story, put the, the trash down south uh up with those other teams all right <laughs> we're better than, we're better than that around here and i'll give you the win loss record for next year is 12 and 0 baby i will take the under on that bet boys i'm going next season i'm going next season nine and three and I'll and win the bowl game ten and three. That's what that's what I'm going for, and that's what I'm hoping for. Ten winners, ten win season. Win the bowl game. That's what I'm going for. Yeah, you know, to get a get a double digit wins. So, so it's the goal next season. So I mean, I'm not. I, I know again win loss records, but so I guess the goal next season would be like to beat teams as been said you're supposed to beat. Win the um, that's the goal. Uh, yeah, so you got to beat App State, obviously. Beat App State to be the representative of the East in the championship game because, you know, until they show they aren't going to be in the eight and oh seven and one range in conference play, you got to kind of assume that they're going to be the ones on top of the mountain. Well, it'd be pretty them cool this year. We would represent the East. Yeah, it'd be pretty cool though if we could we we could get the Sun Belt championship game at home. I mean, I know that's a far stretch because I guess all these Sun Belt championship games they played at the you know whatever team that's higher up that'd be pretty cool if we could get the championship game at home one season that'd be really nice well and the west has got to get a lot tougher for that to happen the the thing is is it does set up the schedule is tough at the start but it's kind of what i think julian's hoping for and what other people are hoping for in that yeah south carolina is a tough out and north carolina at home is going to be a tough out but if you can find a way to win those games it'll be a two no start against power conference teams and that's the type of momentum even when they've been winning games, winning bowl games, it's the type of thing that hasn't been able to be like, this is what we've done and people take notice of us. So it's tough, but I feel like it's the type of tough that you're going to want to go out there and face because it gives you a real opportunity to grab the, high, the headlines like that. I think we play. I think we play well in that South Carolina game because we played well against these SEC teams. I mean, realistically, that Auburn game, we did get screwed. And we should have won that game because Auburn had the extra down because that ball, that one, that one pass clearly uh, hit the turf. That was complete bullshit. So we, we should have won that game. But uh, I think we play well against South Carolina. I think we just come out with the kind of the mentality I talked about. I mean, it's kind of a homecoming for Sean Elliott, you know, because he coached at South Carolina for a few seasons. So maybe we come out and maybe we just rattle the hell out of Rattler and sack him a few times and just make him look really suspect, which would be a nice thing to see. Yeah, I, when I started this, I uh, I wasn't sure how quickly we were going to get to the Auburn and the referee stuff. I didn't know if it was going yeah, to take that over everything fun. we talked about or not. But, you know, about 40 minutes in, I would have taken the under on that. So, you, I guess, good job, everyone, not making it about one referee decision in September. 
Got to score yeah. points against an SEC opponent, man. <laughs> I, I know everyone hammers that. I was in that building and I saw uh, Destin Coach trip over nothing and uh, fall down on a on a uh, sure first down. Uh, so I, again, I, I know we're a young program and and that call sucked, but there was a lot of calls that uh, went our way as well. I'll say that. Did, uh, as someone who was also the Ar- Auburn game, I remember that that final fourth down. I thought we had Finley sacked. Um, only to see him throw a, a touch a touchdown at the end, but yeah, I I wasn't sure if the like I, I've noticed the last it seems the last few times before Coastal Carolina against ranked teams. I don't know, maybe it's just me or Ben, someone who's more football knowledge can help me out with this. It, it just seems like sometimes it's like it becomes more conservative, like the 2020 opening game against uh, no Louisiana. Uh, it was like playing not to lose or something or something according to that. And then with the Auburn game, it's like things became more conservative. Or against Louisiana, it's like it's like for the majority of the time, like Georgia State was not only not only wasn't in the driver's seat, but had the opportunity to really make a statement, only to kind of falter at the end. And it becomes like a, instead of like a program defining win or another one, you get kind of like like kind of like a moral victory. And like those have kept on adding up until the Coastal Carolina game. But like man, just that that Auburn game, like if you win that game against Auburn. I don't think the seats are that empty against App State because that Auburn game that would have been huge, and I don't. I actually don't think that. I think SEC teams probably would have pulled the whole thing in terms of playing Georgia State. They're probably like, "Nah, I'm, we're not doing this," especially if you beat a ranked Auburn team. Um, so well, I, go, I would, go back, I, go back and look at the uh, quarterback play in that Auburn Auburn game in the second half. I, I remember that, that. that. That's exactly why because he he was awful. Darren Granger, Granger did not play well. And the other thing is, like, Auburn has a good defense, and they made a lot of adjustments in the second half and just took away the stuff that Georgia State was able to do really well in the first half. And, you know, it's a cop-out just to say the other team was good and therefore they started doing better. But if you watch the game, like, that's what happened. Like, Auburn started playing really well. And they made the two – they got the block punt, which kind of swung the momentum in a big way. And they hung around. The defense did the job to keep Georgia State off the board in the second half. And then – they made enough plays on that final drive. You know, even counting the catch that may not have been a catch, they still they made a, a, enough plays, and that last play was a really nice scramble job by uh, T.J. Finley. I mean, even though, it was, even though it was sort of a moral victory, it was sort of encouraging to see that our guys could go up there and almost win the game. Because, look, like I said, you know, we, we've only been a Division One program since 2014. This team's only been around since 2010. So it's hard to hate on these guys when we haven't had a football program for, you know, only like a, a little over a decade now. So it's kind of hard to hate on the on the men, you know, when we haven't really played a lot of games. But I think it's pretty encouraging, though, that we know we can play to the level of a team like an Auburn, you know, when we beat Tennessee. So it's pretty cool that we know we can play up to those guys, which is kind of encouraging. Hey, man, Tennessee wasn't playing to the level of Jordan that day. That wasn't about playing. Well, no, well, we totally just – we outworked Tennessee that whole game, but – what I took note of was uh, watching the bowl games this year was uh, we could have been the reason why Auburn did not go bowling this year. They finished the season yeah. six and six. That loss could have been – we could have been the reason they didn't go bowling. When we beat Tennessee, they still finished with a, a, a bowl a game that year. So it could have been really, really something special. Not going to Auburn. Auburn and then, uh, at, then at, well, Auburn should have beat Alabama too. They got really they, – they, they really probably should have beat Bama too. So, um, um, you know, that's – Yeah, it just uh, I guess like the, those those opponents like you have to I know you, you beat Coastal, but like taking one against the Power Five, I mean you put that means you have two up there in two other three years. I think that that would be important. 
But like I think uh, Ben shared like following the Auburn game shared a stat with me like quarterback play, uh, it like between those between from the Auburn game, uh, from, like from the first game against Army to the Auburn game, yeah, because I think eventually they got to a point where they were to shut down, of course, the running game, and they put a situation where like they told the quarterback to beat you and we couldn't really do it that game, especially in the second half. Um, but yeah, I I feel like if you're to split the first two games this season. That's gonna go a long. That's gonna go a long way for the program. You either win South or North Carolina, whichever. I don't expect them to win both, even though that would be amazing. And then you know, if you're able to beat Charlotte and hopefully come back, and because Army's gonna be Army should be tough again since they're always on the triple option. Yeah, you you ha- you have a good foundation to stand on, especially you beat you beat one of North Carolina uh, or South Carolina, and if you should beat you should beat Charlotte, um, and oh, you beat Charlotte beat season. Army. Oh, go ahead. Army, Army will be a tough out because they beat – the funny part about Army is, you know, they run that triple option, which is really effective. But they beat Missouri throwing the football <laughs> to win to win that ball game for Army, which I think was kind of funny. Well, and, you know, I guess looking at the schedule, if you want to play it out, Georgia State plays an SEC team every year through 2026. And the schedules are pretty open at that point. I wouldn't be surprised to see more go on the schedule past that. But – you're going to keep getting these opportunities going. We play uh, we play Georgia Tech coming up, too. I think it's 2024, if I stand corrected. 24 and 26. 24 yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, play, we play them at Tech 2020. 26 in uh, Center Park. Yeah. Um, which which opponent do you guys think is going to be harder with the new additions coming in between, like, JMU, uh, Marshall? Um, I'm blanking on the other one. Right. Those are only... Oh, go ahead. It's Southern Miss and Old Dominion are the other two. Okay. Well, which one thing is going to be harder? Because obviously they're coming in our division. So not only do you have apps and your original opponents to deal with, you got James Madison, who's been really well in the FBS, and you have Old Dominion, and you have Marshall. I mean, you know, got you got to go to visit the Thundering Herd, which should be a really good matchup. I mean, without a doubt, it's Marshall is going to be the most difficult coming in, right? I. I, I struggle with that because I think I have to see what James Madison looks like with the FBS recruiting years um, because I want to say it's them just kind of given their pedigree with FCS. Um, you know, it wouldn't shock me if they pulled something similar to what early Sunbelt Southern, you know, kind of what App State has been able to do the last like eight years. And, you know, I guess Coastal in some way um, has been able to do the last couple of years. So, you know, my early gut tells me, yeah, it's probably going to be James Madison after a couple of years. But I think you're right that for now it's got to be Marshall because, you know, I think they've played App State the last two years. Um, they I think they had a home and home them. And I think App State won both of them. No, no, Marshall. No. Yeah, Marshall won the first one. You're right. Um, but those, you know, those were good games. Those were, you know, showcase games that you know kind of featured both our conference and their former conference. So you know, and you know, those are games that you, you know, when you're looking back at the end of the season, you're like, okay, you know, let's see who's got some good out of conference wins. And you know, for both of those teams, like those were good numbers for them. So you know, Marshall is going to be a dog. It's going to be as Brady has mentioned, you know, time and time again, it's going to be incredibly hard for Georgia State to, you know, kind of be the perennial East contender that, you know, we think that they should be, but like, you know, as Ben has said as well, that's, you know, if you want to be the program that you want to be like, that's, that's where you're going to have to be headed. So you're going to have to look at Marshall and just be like, all right, it's just another opponent. It's just somebody else that we got to beat. Doesn't, doesn't Marshall and JMU get fan bases too? 
Yeah, definitely. And oh yeah, definitely. What I've read, Marshall specifically has a really good alumni base in Atlanta. So yeah, when those games are on the schedule, I expect they're going to be out in green force at a Center Park Stadium when those games happen. Who doesn't have a good fan base in Atlanta? You could probably go no, anyone. Definitely fair. I just specifically read about that. I'm sure JMU and yeah. Well, I mean, all the all the fan bases take over Tech Stadium every time. It doesn't matter who they're playing, so it's kind of <laughs> that's sort of the same thing. So, what I find interesting with the new teams coming in is, I think the East gets more difficult, and the West, if anything, gets easier. And that's not a dig at Southern Miss. It's the fact that now the West we be playing fewer East teams. So, you know, we're only after seeing Lafayette, I think, every single year besides one since joining. Now we see them uh, once every four years. It's going to be a big difference in our the East scheduling versus what West is going to look like. It's going to be the lottery. Like, you're, you might get a year where you play, like, ULM and Texas State, or you could get a year where you play Louisiana and Troy, who I think Troy benefits from moving to the West, and I think they made a decent hire, so I think they'll we'll see an improved Troy and playing the West will help that. So like, you we talk about you know you got to beat App, you got to beat Marshall, whatever. But like the other fact of it is like the schedule might give someone the East Championship just because of who they play out of the West, and it might just be a situation where you get bad luck and those are the teams you're gonna have to beat, and someone else plays teams that are showing up in like the CBS bottom twenty-five. Yeah, and it makes it much easier for the West Division champ to be the host of the championship game because the East beats up on each other, and whoever it is in the West just steamrolls their entire division and has a better record than the East team. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. I mean, you're talking about because right, I think George State finished second, so you're looking at. Like if all goes well, you could have like a dog pile where you have Marshall, App State, Coastal, and and uh, I'm missing someone. And State just all fighting for those top slots. And you know, by the time they get there, I mean, sure they can be battle tested, but shoot, they may be exhausted. Um, you know, because you know you got Southern Miss and Louisiana, but to me, Louisiana still the class of the West. They didn't change at all. They didn't move the needle. Um, in the East, I mean, you don't really know what to expect now with these two with these two programs moving in and. I'm not sure, Ben. Do you have an update, like when they're looking to come? I know they're trying to come this upcoming season, but it might be 2023. Yeah, not, nothing's really official. I mean, it, that, listen, the, the the bottom line ultimately, I mean, you have to have the bucket of Old, Old Dominion, Southern Miss, um, you know, and then Marshall in one bucket, and then JMU in the other. When you have to transition from FBS to FCS, um, you know, the the biggest thing for them, especially on the front end. And why I don't believe they can move so quickly is you have to make a determination of, okay, who's on full scholarship now? Um, because that we, we went through it at Georgia State. You know, ultimately, you can split scholarships in FBS. That's not a thing in F, F, you know, in, or that's a, in FCS. You can split them. In FBS, you cannot. So you have to figure out, all right, go position by position. And, all right, you're, you're now on full scholarship. And, hey, you may be a walk-on. How does that impact the, you know, the roster? They're going to need – you know, some transition time. And even if they did move immediately, uh, July 1st, they're not eligible for, you know, for a bowl. Um, I, I don't, I'm not even sure, you know, you know, the Sunbelt rules, if they'd be eligible specifically for that, but um, I, I could see another full cycle. Um, now, obviously the FBS ready teams, you want, uh, you want them in your conference as soon as possible, knowing that Little Rock and UTA are out because it is an all sport conversation. I know we're specific football here, but it does impact other sports as well. So, um, I, you know, 
I think ultimately you may have another full year to do it because now we're sitting here January 1st. Um, will, are they are they going to be ready July 1 you know, to m- make that move in the conference or, or is, do they need an additional uh, season? So um, my, my best guess would probably be 2023 just to allow them you know, a full cycle, a full opportunity to go ahead and do it. The toughest part for JMU is um, you know, they, they may be ineligible mm-hmm. now, right? So you're in that transition where they can't play in FCS playoffs um, and they can't, you know, be a bowl team. So um, they may be more, more willing to just jump forward too. So I mean, um, add to that, the CAA a- is being just not at all happy ex lovers about it and banning them from everything. I think they want yeah. to jump as soon as possible, basically, no matter what the consequences, because they're pretty done with the CAA being like, like the CAA is making them ineligible for conference tournaments, playing TV games from them because they're just mad that they're leaving. Um, it's kind of a masterclass in how not to handle this, but there you go. We know about but that that's in the CAA, and and, and, and that yeah, we know all about it. They did the exact same thing when Georgia State left the conference. Hey Ben, if I'm not mistaken, doesn't JMU actually have a FBS size roster right now because of the COVID year and the super seniors and everything? That's one of the things I heard. JMU fans, they they already have the the roster size. I don't know about as far as like how those scholarships are split up. Yeah, I mean that's. It, it just comes down to math. I mean, yeah, they, they probably do. I mean, they have that opportunity, but but ultimately, you got to get to eighty five scholarships, and and you got to figure that part out because to be competitive, I believe, um, you know, you're going to lose your seniors and the guys who are done, um, and even even with the the you know, depending if they had super seniors or whatever, you know, like Georgia State will you know have uh, maybe a handful of guys. You've got to figure that part out because most FCS programs usually have, you know, 70, 80 guys. You're dividing that, you know, 63 scholarships up. So now you're not going to potentially have to reward all of that. And now for them, for the transfer portal, I mean, it's from a competitive side of things, it's very difficult. You know, I know you guys were talking about Coastal. You guys were talking about Southern and App State on their move. You know, they knew when the move was coming. So they redshirted certain guys on the roster, guys that were on the two deep already, basically. In that final year, they were in FCS. They redshirted some upperclassmen with the opportunity to say, hey, we want to get you prepared for that first year in FBS. And they did have that opportunity to step in there and play right away and play meaningful games. Um, interested to see, you know, now that obviously that, that was made, you know, how's that conversation work with JMU? How does that work with the administration? Have they let the players know, hey, you're going to be on scholarship and you're not? Because, um, you know, these guys that are, you know, maybe on a half a scholarship that, that won't be on a scholarship come July 1, they may want to exit, you know, Harrisonburg. So um, there's there's a lot of interesting conversations, obviously, that has to be made with that coaching staff and, you know, have to see, you know, from a competitive situation uh, what it will look like because, um, you know, the, the portal's going crazy on all levels right now and then there are teams that are obviously loading up. I'll go the other side just so we have – both takes and i'll say i think when the schedule comes out in march everyone's going to be on it all four new teams yeah i don't know the how i just think Dang. that happen i, I think that. It, i think, I think it's about once well. the money once the money too for all the teams coming i agree i think that we'll see all the teams on their jmu schedule may look a little wonky but i think we'll see all four teams in 2022 they want they want the revenue they want the fan base coming in i think they'll come in because the sunbelt needs new blood and it'll just it'll just gonna uh, elevate the conference to make it you know uh, better than it is, so they want they want that. Yeah, I'm just. Uh, I looked more at bowl it. I took, too, for the team. Yeah, yeah, I took a quick look at. Uh, you know, I think Marshall will have like the best recruiting class coming in. I think that the 24/7 had that them as like 58th overall. I mean, I'm wondering what this overall deals with Sunbelt uh, for this. We're looking at Sunbelt recruiting wise. 
I mean, you know, usually App State does the best at when it comes to recruiting. And so now you have Marshall obviously joining to serve the standout, the, the other program, the most established program. How that kind of elevates or looks, how uh, that does for some belt recruits overall. Because usually some belts, you know, highest being App State, you know, they finish, uh, you know, like in the top 60 or 70 in terms of recruiting. So i uh, wondering what that does for the recruit, recruit, uh, recruit pool for Georgia State. And I guess going forward, like, you know, with them obviously recruiting well, I mean, does that make it hard? Is I mean, how hard is that going to make it to for Georgia State to recruit better out of the state since in out of uh, Metro Atlanta since we've kind of struggled with that, uh, you know, in recent years or just normally uh, for recruiting wise. Almost got an hour in without talking about Atlanta recruiting. That's another shocker. <laughs> uh, okay, I wasn't cool. going to bring it up, Brady. I'm just saying. Matt Marshall's going to have really strong recruiting still, though, because they can get people from you know. Where they're at in West Virginia, the problem with having Marshall and teams like that is they're going to poach the you know the South a lot now. They're going to try to get a bunch of kids out of Atlanta, South Carolina, Alabama. They're going to poach a lot of those kids now because now they can really. They they were doing that already, my man. They, Are they were already doing already. that already. Okay. I still think we should worry a lot less about where where players are from and more about the quality of the players coming in. Yeah, sorry, Ryan, you're on an island there, brother. Well, there, there's <laughs> you would rather have a, a worse player from Atlanta than a better player from outside Atlanta. If things are even, you take the Metro Atlanta kid. Yes. That's not what I said. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to say, if you they're get not, a chance... They're to... not recruiting worse players. That's the other side. You have to keep in mind, a lot of these players have, you know, they leave because they're homesick or they're not playing. You have that opportunity a lot less when you have Metro Atlanta kids. And and to be honest, that this, this staff has struggled to do it. It's not been a priority. Um, so it's been one of those situations where they're, you know, they have initial conversations and, and things with high schools. And, and also you have turnover. And, we, you know, Brady talked about a little bit earlier. You have a brand new offensive coordinator. That means a new voice, a new quarterback coach, um, you know, new relationships they're going to have to build within the Metro Atlanta um, side of things. And, and, and ultimately, like it or not, you know, with four FBS programs in the state and you're consistently the fourth in least amount of uh, players from the state of Georgia, uh, it raised a lot of eye- eyebrows in Metro Atlanta. And you have, you know, you have people going and saying, why am I sending my kid there? Um, you know, I've tried to send my kids there for three, four, five years and you guys won't take him. Um, no, y- you want you want this, you know, one player or two players that we have, um, you know, it's not going to work. Now, I mean, this last class, I believe six of the signees are from the state of Georgia in total. Um, that's progress. Um, but, you know, it's also year five of Coach Elliott. So, um, you know, there's there's guys, and that's what I'm interested in, too. And you, you need this offensive coordinator to get out and recruit and hammer uh, and find, you know, basically some guys, not not just skill guys, but, you know, hit the entire roster and make sure they're made up uh, of players from Metro Atlanta who are just exiting and going elsewhere. They shouldn't be we, going to the MAC. They shouldn't be going to Conference USA, and that's what's consistently happening. We might get more just based on if we can keep doing well, because technically right now I think we're like the second best team in the state of Georgia because Southern's a dumpster fire, Tech is a dumpster fire. So we might get, get more of these Atlantic kids just because all the other schools in Georgia just suck and we're getting a lot better. I mean, we're never you know, never going to be in the level of the UGA. I mean, nobody in the state's ever going to get on that level. But we might just get players just based on the other teams are so bad that we're just we're just picking up kids, you know, just, just because of that fact. I mean, I guess tech recruits yeah. better than any Sun Belt school. Period. They're, you're yeah. not going to recruit against the Power Five. Is yeah, yeah, I guess to, it's not going to matter. Right now is like 50, and the last year was like 48, so it's not that good. 
I know, but, I, but no matter program. Yeah, but no matter how bad Georgia Tech is going to be, I mean, as bad as they are, I mean, it's still a power five. It's still a power five program. I mean, they have the budget that we could not, that we cannot match. Well, no, that's but, true. I mean, that's true. I mean, well, I mean, they have like the lowest budget in all the ACC. But I mean, that's true. But still, yeah, it's just that you know I, the issue I have is that you know you seeing you know these maybe you know three stars that from Atlanta, you know they may somehow they think that you know they may go to the MAC or go to other G fives and. The only time where I think that's maybe okay is when they go to the AAC or something like that, which it's a because, you know, they have some of the top programs in the country. But besides that, I mean, I'm not one of the people who look down on recruits because they are from South Carolina or Florida. I'm just saying the more kids you can get out of Metro Atlanta, it's only going to help you going forward, considering that our school has a lot of kids from the Metro Atlanta areas. The more you can get that you can the relationship you can build from those high schools in Metro Atlanta, the better. I mean, it's not a sense of where I'm saying that South. That I think the the I'm, I'm angry that South Carolina kids are coming here. Just like we're just continuously failing with getting the attention of these Metro Atlanta kids, which is kind of disappointing that we've been we already we're at what year five with Elliot, and that still hasn't improved. You know, I'm not expecting like a whole full Metro Atlanta recruiting list, but you know, at least you know do a little bit better than we have been doing. Yeah. So I- I have two things on this the, for the first of which is, you know, just that I think it's a little bit of a fallacy to do the thing about, you know, seeing this Atlanta kid go to the Mac or whatever, because even if you sign a full recruiting class of Atlanta kids, that's always going to happen. Like you're not going to recruit Atlanta such that other schools won't come and recruit in Atlanta. And there's always going to be someone, even if you have a full class of like, Oh, look, this guy from Atlanta high school went to this other school and went great. Cause he's a good player. Like that's going to happen no matter what you're doing. Yeah, and so I feel like kids go out of... is a little bit of a slippery slope where it's there. You're never going to meet that expectation. No, yeah, no doubt. Like, but I think what, this what is also, a, you know, what we've seen in the last three, four, five cycles, ultimately, where you have high school coaches who say they I, they haven't even seen or talked to a coaching staff member. I, I, my, that's where I go and say, how is that possible? You know, guys who are, you know, FBS quality, you know, who are receiving opportunities, who are not even being evaluated by the staff. That's where my issue stands. And, and quite honestly, I've asked Coach Elliott about it. And, you know, he's been very vocal about, hey, look, we're not going to sell this program. He's not going to – him and his coaching staff are not going to sell this program. You know, they're going to go and get where they, who they want and, and who wants them. Um, that, to me, is a very dangerous thing to say because ultimately you have more kids now that are going to be interested in you now because you have eight wins and you've, you know, won back-to-back bowl games. You have an opportunity to now – walk into places or into homes talking to, you know, to the top level talent in the state um, that doesn't need to go to your competitors. And I think that's something you've already seen with Clay Hilton and his class um, down there at Georgia Southern. They've taken a tremendous amount of uh, Georgia players and Metro Atlanta kids, and we'll see if it works. Ultimately, I mean, they're, they're another guys are going to be impact guys as freshmen, I believe. Um, but, you know, you do have a change over there in offensive style, defensive style, um, you know, they have opportunities to go in there and play, but you've seen Arkansas State c- come flying in, uh, grabbing, you know, pickpocketing, um, you know, Metro Atlanta kids. App State has done tremendously grabbing four, five, six guys per roster. Coastal has done the same thing with Jamie Chadwell um, and that staff. So, I mean, th- this is where your your direct competitors on the field are go- going and grabbing kids um, that you should be in front of, in my view. And um, when you don't have these guys who even have offers, or have not had serious conversations with you, and they go elsewhere. Um, that does give a lot of folks pause. That you know, that's where I sit because there's there's room for both sides of this equation. You know, 
if a kid is coming from somewhere and he's really good, you know, it shouldn't necessarily matter, um, you know, where he's coming from. But like, like you said, Ben, like, I guess I, you know, I am not privy to the relationships that they're, you know, are being developed or in your case saying are not being developed. But, you know, that to me is where the importance is and where there should be some focus, you know, continuing to have those relationships in the Metro Atlanta area is so much more important than, okay, you got a defensive tackle from, you know, a, a school out here like that. That I don't know. I'm not necessarily upset with the direction of recruiting because I feel like it has still been much better than, you know, seven, eight years ago, obviously. Um, and, you know, like you can definitely see that there's a much more talent on both sides of the ball. However, still concerning. I mean, you know, we've had you on a few times in the past and, you know, you've said that. So, you know, you've been saying that and you know, continuing to have those conversations that, you know, those relationships aren't being developed for, you know, a variety of reasons. Like, you know, I, I could understand why that would be concerning. I think recruiting is big. I think it's a huge thing, but I think player development is really big too. Cause I'll just bring up like, look, look, for example, when, when Jordy tech was really good with Paul Johnson for a lot of those years, their recruiting classes weren't that great at all. He just had basic, maybe one four-star recruit and all the three stars, but his player development was so he could take a, a three-star kid and turn him into like a four-star. So I think player development is huge too, just based on even if you're not getting the top recruits, you know, if you're, if you're, uh, you know, you know, teaching them the fundamentals of the game, they're learning how to play football as a cohesive. I think that's a really big thing too. Cause that's how, that's how Paul Johnson won a bunch of games was with not a lot of good players. He just developed them really well. And they just had a few nice seasons. I, my only thing, I guess, to what you know, Ben had a good point, or, or several good points, but I, my only thing is just the idea that not selling the team, and then also talking about how like the team's now got eight wins, and I feel like that's the point, isn't it? Like, isn't the point that it's like the team is better, and so you're doing less selling, and you're you've put the product on the field that that's what is going to entice these players that haven't been as interested, and so. You know, obviously, if they're just like continuing to ignore any recruits or just not building the relationships to get guys actually to put, you know, pen on paper for the NLI, it's a different story. But I think that, you know, the parsing of the quote there, I think that what is selling them is just like the results. And so it's it's not a case of just over overreaching at guys who aren't going to sign with you. And now some of those guys might be more interested now. Yeah, we just got to keep winning is the biggest thing. Winning, 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 winning. Winning solves everything. We just got to keep putting wins up and keep scoring points is the biggest thing. I have a question about uh, the recruiting thing. We have a lot of um, <clears throat> uh, coaches from South Carolina, from North Carolina. Sean Elliott is a App State grad, spent most of his career there. Uh, our recruiting coordinators from South Carolina. Does having a coach from Atlanta, whether he be a tech graduate, state graduate, or just from a high school around here, does that does that play into us having so many South Carolina recruits, or why we don't have so many Georgia recruits? I'll I'll take that one. Yeah, that uh, it does. I mean, that's ultimately where they have the relationships. Um, you, you know, you look at the twenty twenty two class. Um, you know, the two guys that are from Great Collegiate Academy, uh, you know, running back Casey Adams and Alec Johnson. I mean, Coach Elliott even mentioned it talking about signing day specifically. I mean, he, he coached that offensive line coach at Gray Collegiate Academy at South Carolina, knows there that that's where those relationships happen. Um, you know, if you go up and down, I um, mean, you know, Josh Depp was a was a high school coach in that state 
you know, he was competed with or, or knew a lot of guys in that state. Uh, of course, his brother is now on the staff there at the University of South Carolina as well. Um, you know, that's that's where they know that. I mean, Brad Glenn knows that state very well. Coach Fuquay, uh, the defensive coordinator, um, you know, coached coach at Wofford, recruited in South Carolina. Um, it just comes down to those relationships. They know it really well. Um, they're going to try to send them, you know, those high school guys are going to say, hey, look, you need this, you need that. Um, come take a look at this guy. Um, and, and as much as Georgia is over-recruited, um, South Carolina traditionally is under-recruited. And, and I've said that, you know, even before, Coach Elliott was here, uh, just because a lot of times where if you're not going to have a Clemson or South Carolina offer a kid, uh, ultimately they're going to. Um, that's that's why you've seen App State, you know, continue to do well, obviously, and go grab kids, or, or even some of the FCS programs, you know, go and try to grab those guys that are under the radar, or, e- or East Carolina, you know, certain programs who have made their living uh, going and grabbing eight, ten, twelve kids a cycle if they can in the state of South Carolina. But but ultimately, I mean, it does it just comes down to relationships and and. I'm also very interested to see how many uh, coaches are retained and stay on the staff because as the team continues to succeed, you know, we've seen, uh, I believe on average, about two and a half assistant coaches uh, exit the program uh, in, in different seasons. And there's some, there's some, uh, still some attrition that will happen in, in the coaching staff potentially as, as more uh, coordinators move on, you know, position coaches and things move on. And, and that's really where it starts is you, uh, you have coaches who are assigned an area and and then once those coaches you know leave, uh, then that area goes to somebody new. So um, it, it really comes down to you know building that relationship. You know you know ha- having opportunities to to get into Metro Atlanta and the various counties and um, you know and, and going and grabbing them and, and not even just for scholarship guys. We've seen you know even former walk-ons. You know being able to to find you know, people who are you know go find that next Tucker Greg, uh, you know for example and, and things like that in North Georgia or being able to go out um, and having those relationships. In, in, in various parts of the state to to go next wave because the 2023 class in Georgia is just crazy loaded and and that's that's where I think um, you know that's that to me will be the next progression point of this program if you you say all right you can sign six in the state of Georgia is that is it possible to double that number in 2023 you know to, to go get 10 12 um, kids from from Georgia as as a whole and, and seven or eight from Metro Atlanta that that's going to be the interesting litmus test for me. To me, it's a good illustration of why we shouldn't care where the kids are coming from versus how good they are because there's a scarcity on time for the coaches to spend on recruiting. And do I want them necessarily spending that time building up the relationships that they didn't have or the ones that they already have in in a typically under-recruited state? I'll take that all day uh, because they have more time in front of kids that way because that's what they're working on. So... Um, as far as scarcity of resources go, I just don't care from as long as they're good players. And then, you know, I'm looking at sorry, I'm looking at the recruiting right now, just on two four seven sports for the 2022. And Arkansas State is actually number one in the Sun Belt in recruiting right now. I kind of find Butch that Jones factor. Yep. Yeah, I find that a little interesting. So Arkansas State, I'm looking at it. Arkansas State 66, uh, nation rank, and Georgia State were fourth in recruiting in the Sun Belt. We're sitting at 83 right now, and then I want to see App State. App State sitting at three in the Sun Belt, and App State sitting at 75 nationally in recruiting right now. I, so the national recruiting rankings at our level, I think, are and, – and, Ben, you can probably speak to this better or refute me if you want, but I think they're kind of useless. I've, I've watched <clears throat> kids that were ranked in, like, mid-tier three-star uh, commit to Georgia State and get dropped to a, a lower-tier three-star or two-star even. Um, and I think that – 
there's just, again, a scarcity of resources. There's people evaluating these kids and they can't evaluate every single one. So what they do is they say, oh, well, where are they going? And what do we expect of the kid who's getting recruited by them or there? And they drop it. I, I might be conspiracy theory on my side, but that's what I think I see. So I just, I trust the, uh, the, the coaches on this. It's not entire like stars matter. And I'm the person who said they don't matter at all, but like, as an example, and you know, this would be homework assignment for people because you have to go find it. But if you look at App's 2016 class, it was like middle to low tier in the Sun Belt and not very well ranked. And especially at the bottom of the class, there were a lot of two stars. And if you look at who the two stars are, they were some of their best players during the last five years. You know, it's like guys like Zach Thomas. You know, I think Jalen Moore is running back for them. I think he was like a 70, like the lowest possible ranking. And Shamar Jean Charles, I think another one, he's in the NFL now with the Packers as a cornerback. And so like there is a certain point to where like player development and knowing your guys and not recruiting because you see the stars or whatever, you see who's offering them. Like there is something to that. And we've seen a yeah. lot of those guys succeed at Georgia state, you know, even going back to when Trent miles was head coach, he certainly found some diamonds in the rough. And that's right? what I was, that's what I was bringing up when I was bringing up Paul Johnson. That's exactly what he did. He didn't, he just got the diamonds of the rough, and then that's the he's reason why they won games. That's exactly that's exactly what you're saying. That's he's exactly what he couldn't triple up. Yeah, Paul, Paul Johnson also little... hated recruiting, so that, that's that's something to keep in mind. Paul, Paul Johnson didn't like recruiting, and several members of staff didn't either. So that's why they they smashed recruiting rankings. Here's the biggest thing where it comes to us. Ultimately, recruiting is is a critical component. If you have the betters at the best positions, you're gonna you know naturally do better. It ultimately you're gonna have to. You know, part of a coaching, you know, that that day to day is developing your guys because you can have again, you can have I've seen three star, four star, even five star level talent who are terrible, who, who don't amount to much. And part of that is because of the makeup of the kid. Um, I, I think ultimately you have to that's why you have to do the due diligence in the spring. You have to do the due diligence in the summer and find out if these kids all right, what, what's their mental makeup? You know, when, when they get challenged, when they you know, hey, they were they were the big dog at their school. Um, you know, but maybe they were in a smaller school. So they were, you know, going basically from, you know, the being, being the big fish, you know, in, in the, in the small pond. Now you're jumping up against all state caliber guys. I mean, that that's ultimately what you want to see. And I think, again, it's the progression in these programs where you're going to see, all right, you're not going to have a, a, a true freshman, uh, you know, come in and, and have an, an opportunity to start right away or even play right away. And I think that's where I'm interested to see the evolution of this program now is all right we we didn't see but probably three maybe four guys that signed in 2021 um now now can those guys make the next step you know having opportunity to go through winter conditioning uh here in a couple weeks you know having an opportunity to, to set foot on the field in the spring um and go but I mean, there's so many different elements that are in now and, and we haven't even touched on the transfer portal at all where yeah. you have I was um, gonna say you, the transfer portal too um, yeah, we've I mean, actually you, you, had a lot of good. Uh, pa actually, I'm looking at the things right now. We've actually had a lot of pretty good amount of power five guys that have transferred to us um, in the last couple of seasons. And then the transfers last season were pretty nice. We got Cradle, a UCF guy. I mean, we got Gardner um, from Furman, but we've had a few power five dudes that have transferred. Williams, that was running back, he transferred from South Carolina. So we've had some power five guys that transferred to the team, which is which is nice to see. Yeah, I want to just bring up one point from that App State comment. Um, I actually 
was uh, tracking just to see. I was just curious what the recruiting was. Um, I didn't have 2016, but I do have 2017 uh, till now. And in 2017 and 2018, App State was sixth and seventh in the Sun Belt. Um, and if Georgia State does end 83rd, I believe was the number it was for 247. Uh, 83, yeah, that would be their highest in the last like four, six years. So just wanted to throw that out there. And I'll yeah, keep in mind too, App State lost their head coach twice in that time too. That's a good point. Yeah, and um, the, speaking about the transfer portal, I, I mean, yeah, I have to be excited about that. I mean, we got, I'm not, I'm not sure if pronounce his name right. Is it Keelon or Keon, uh, uh, the quarterback from Memphis? Keelan. Keelan. Keelan Brown, and I know we're also waiting on Miles Jackson uh, for his decision. If I get uh, him. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see about – I'm not see what you guys think. I talked to Ben about it. I mean, Jackson State seems like they have everything going for them. Got the, like, number one cornerback in the cut, the top – when the top JUCO transfer would come to them. I know they can't offer a full scholarship, but, like, the power of NIL kind of make thing, makes things a little bit so, you know, based on his, like, social media posts, it's like – Jackson fans seem Jackson State fans seem to be all over him. I guess my thing is is like can can we keep on landing uh, these uh, as we grow more prominent? Can we can we have uh, the opportunity to keep on landing these more prominent transfer portal guys and bringing them to Georgia State? Uh, even when you have like some of these upstart, well, I don't want to say upstart, but like re, you know Jackson State going with the Renaissance because the recruiting guy in the prime time who is probably just the best guy to have recruit for you. Um, so I just thought that bring that to your guys, uh, maybe bring that to the floor. Like, I mean, can, how how good can we get bringing these transfer guys, these big time transfers to Georgia State and adding to uh, and getting some more experience on the roster? I mean, partly you don't have to do it a ton because you've done a good job of building a roster up. But correct. What you've seen, what the coaches have been doing is all right, we need a pass rusher. This guy, Shamar McCollum from Wake Forest, is interested. Let's get him in. We recruited him out of high school. And you see, like, they're picking and choosing, and guys are coming in and usually playing a good bit. And so I think you're, that's what you're going to keep seeing. Is there, uh, you know, Miles Jackson would probably be another one of those where they expect that he could probably play a lot early. Um, and so I feel like that's what you're going to see. I don't think you're going to see them live and die by the transfer portal because, you know, if you hear Coach Elliott talk about it, like that's not how he's wanted to build a program, and that's how it's been bared out with just how heavily they've gone with high school guys. Mm-hmm. But sometimes if you want to win like now and you want to keep improving improving the club, you bring in you know transfer people that you know played a lot of snaps in foot in college football. You bring them in because they got good pedigree, they're from good teams. So if you really want to win now, that's what a lot of the teams are doing is bringing in the transfer guys just to build out the roster and have some veteran leadership on the roster, which is kind of like which is kind of a big thing too. The tough part about ultimately with the portal and, and and it's it's had the trickle down effect ultimately from not only junior college but high school guys, um, but then the current roster. You know, you don't also want to. I mean, this is where ultimately the staff has to project out. They have to be able to look and say, all right, if we go and take this wide receiver because he can be an impact guy, I may have one or two wide receivers who exit my program who I do have big plans for them, but they've been sitting for two years. So it is a balance as well. You have to be able to balance that. You know that uh, effect. And obviously, uh, everyone focuses on the quarterback, but there's other positions as well where you look at it. Um, where I 
had somebody brought up the other day where you know they had the Atlanta Journal Constitution mm -hmm. uh, rundown talking specifically about the returnees on the offensive line may having uh, maybe having a, a a negative impact because you may have some younger offensive linemen who now look at the depth chart and say, oh wow, another season where I'm not going to play or not even be on the two deep. Um, do, is this the right place for me? Um, those conversations are happening. They will be happening, I, I believe, again in spring. Um, and but to to you guys' point, um, you know, if you're going to add and, and supplement at key positions, uh, those guys you have to know they're going to come in and want to play immediately and want to compete uh, for playing time immediately. And there, and there may be reverberations between you know the rest of your roster because you know if you're bringing in DBs, uh, you're bringing in skill guys uh, from the transfer portal. You expect them to play and have an impact, but uh, just know uh, you may have recruited guys you know six months earlier or eight months. 10 months earlier uh, who may be sliding down the depth chart now and you may have ad additional issues on your hands. So, I mean, it just comes down to roster management, roster balance, and, and knowing and evaluating correctly and say, I I'm seeing this guy in practice. I, I can project him uh, to take the next step to step in and be in the two deep or, um, you know, continue to improve the the team. Um, I, you know, I think that's you know one of the, the areas too. I mean, you guys talked about Sam Pinckney a couple of times, you know, him leaving, um, is certainly a net, you know, overall from an experience point of view, but we know how deep that wide receiver room is. I mean, there's 11 scholarship wide receivers right now. That's not a position of need to go out and replace the Sam Pinckney uh -huh. right, right now. Um, whether it be a blessing in disguise or not, I mean, he battled injuries tremendously. Um, you know, I, I think you reached out, Julian, you know, we've talked about specifically, Hey, you, you know, is the, is the team going to go out and try to find another wide receiver? I said, I don't think so at this point, you have, you have 11 scholarship, you know, wide receivers. You had, the progression of, of guys like Creedle and Jamari Thrash, and and uh, you know you want to see some of the young tight ends step forward. Um, that's not really an area of need, especially with so little scholarships available. And that's what I was saying too. That's like you know that's one it's it's one thing that they transfer, but it's kind of almost good in a sense that these people are transferring just because our roster is getting so deep now, which is kind of I don't want to say it's cool that people are transferring, but it's kind of nice as it's happening to us that we know we have a deep roster, we know we got young men behind that can step up and play good for the ball club, which is cool to see that we're getting so much depth now. If we lose a couple people, it's not going to, you know, train wreck the program or anything. It's not going to like, oh, we're not going to get first downs because we don't got pick me here. Oh, we're not going to score because we don't got pick me here. We got people to replace them, which is a good thing. And that's how that's that's how, you know, the ball club is getting better and the program is getting better because, you know, you have uh, men that are behind them that are, you know, that, are uh, that are probably capable of stepping up, which is a cool thing to see. Next man up is a cliche, but until it stops being true, people are going to keep using it because, you know, like Georgia State arguably lost their most talented player on each side of the ball these last two off seasons because, you know, you can really make the case Jordan Strawn was the best defensive player of the 2021 season. Talent wise, when he's healthy, Sam Pinckney's as talented as anyone on the roster. And, you know, in, in each case, you can look at it and go, you know, OK, there are a couple games where sack totals were down, but by the end of the year, Jamil Muhammad basically replaced what Jordan Strawn was doing on the field. And you've got other guys you think can continue to give you that type of output in the front seven. And Sam Pickney, like Sam, uh, like Ben was saying, like there's a lot of guys on roster you can look at and go, that guy can probably get you some more catches and you can replace him in aggregate. And so that's kind of the, the point of the roster, what the work the staff's been able to do. Like, you don't really have a lot of questions when it's guys that, you know, on paper you look at and be like, how can you replace that guy? I think they've done a good job to where that's not really as much of a concern. 
Yeah, I have to say, I wasn't, I, I'm saying I was disappointed when I heard that uh, painting into the transfer oh, yeah. portal. I wasn't too surprised, though. Yeah. I mean, like, the quarterback play wasn't good. And, like, when you, especially at times, like, during gross stretch of the season, yeah, he was battling in. But, you know, you know, the quarterback play, when it was bad, I mean, it wasn't going to help Pinkney out whether he was healthy or not. So it's disappointing. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm interested to see where he goes. Um, I know he had some verbal agreements from Power 5 programs. Because, uh, you know, it's you know it's disappointing when you lose a player like that. And so, yeah, Georgia State doesn't – and I know they got a talented Juco well, wide receiver in this in, – uh, from early signing day. So, yeah, it's one of those things that it hurts that you lost such a talented player, but it's not going to set the program back. Uh, it shouldn't set the program back or anything. And, you know, um, I guess, you know, it, it, you know, winding up, I guess, just because letting everyone get back to their New Year's Day. I mean, this has been awesome. But I, I feel like that rounds into just a general point that, you know, they've built a lot of good here and that it's manifested in four bowls in five years. And then it's also manifested in that, you know, you can have these losses and you still feel pretty good about what could come in 2022. You know, there's questions to be answered about offensive coordinator, about, you know, who takes the quarterback position for good. But, like, it's not a situation where, you know, even when Georgia State had success in 2015 and went to the first bowl game, you were losing the best quarterback that had been in Georgia State. You were losing a lot of really important players. And that kind of bared out in the way the 2016 went, and it was disappointing and I don't think you can have the expectation there's going to be a letdown. Like, it might happen, but I think we've reached the point where everyone can honestly expect Georgia State to be competing for a bowl game and hopefully taking the next step as the seasons go on, and that's just not a place Georgia State has been at for mm-hmm. the front part of their history. Well, it's just, it's just the beginning, too, because, like, you know, like I've said, you know, we've only had a football team for a short period of time. Just give the team another 10 years. We'll see where this team's at, at you know we've been around for 20 years. I mean, we've only been around for a short period of time. So the progress we've already made in a short period of time is really remarkable to see how, how we've gone from an FCS team and then been to the bowl games, you know, winning already three bowl games, which is pretty impressive. I mean, it takes a while to build a program, and we're building it pretty fast in only a short period of time. So we just – we'll see what this team looks like in another 10 years because it's hard to make – it's hard to make, you know, comments and facts on something that you haven't seen for a long time, but we're making a lot of strides as a young program. And it takes time to build a club, but we're, we're, we're starting to see, you know, the results. We're starting to see the wins. We're starting to see the recruiting. And that always takes time for any team, but especially for a team integrating a football team. And if for, I only had a team for a decade. So, you know, we'll see in the next 10 years how this team will even take further and further steps. And hey. FLU is now the most losingest FBS program. Georgia State usurped them their 130 all-time in winning percentage. Moving on up like the Jeffersons. thought Vanderbilt was down there, too. You can, put, you can throw Vanderbilt, Kansas. There's some bad FC, FBS teams. Well, uh, you know, I think I'm going to probably call it there unless anyone's got any other pressing things they want to do. But this was awesome. Definitely going to look forward to keep doing more of these as time goes on as there's a reason to do so. Um, thank you for everyone who I invited to participation. Thank you for all the listeners for speaking and those who didn't speak. Also, thank you for coming and listening to what we had to say about Georgia State football. Uh, hope everyone has a great 2022 and we'll keep giving you the Georgia State football information as it comes into the offseason. Stay nice, other. Thanks, guys. Sounds good. See you later, fellas.